Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. So it's it's frustrating. The positive, by the way, from Sunday, and I alluded to this earlier, was the lineup change that Buck made. So he decided to sit Marte, give him the back-to-back off days like we talked about. But in doing so, he went Nimmo, Lindor, McNeil, Alonzo. Great. He finally moved Brett Beatty to the five spot. And Beatty responded in his first at-bat. He had himself a two-run single. The question for Buck, and he was asked it, so I give the New York media a little bit of credit on that. They asked about it. Would you consider keeping him there? Now, he didn't give an answer. He's going to think about it. He's got 48 hours to analyze it. But when the Mets return on Tuesday night against Cincinnati, I think it's obvious what has to happen right now. Nimmo leadoff, great. Lindor, two, great. McNeil, three, great. Alonzo, four, fantastic. Beatty, five, great. Marte, six. Take the pressure off the guy, even though there's pressure on him. (laughs) <laughs> and basically say, you look, you're hitting six. You're going to get Beatty some protection too, because I think people still look at Marte and his resume, and he's still stalling Marte, and I think that's what you do. Vogelback bat seventh, uh, Canna eighth, Alvarez ninth. And by the way, I'm sorry, and this is the part where I disagree with you, Pete. That is not a bad lineup. That's not that's not a bad lineup. Now, if you're going to tell me Starling Marte is going to 225, okay, and Francisco Lindor is going to still hit 218, that's a problem. But if you believe in those guys, and now all of a sudden you have that kind of one through six, and you're seven through nine, you're not your three through five, you're seven through nine, is a guy in Vogelbach who, despite his lack of power, gets on base 40% of the time, a guy in Canna who's a serviceable player, and Francisco Alvarez, who's the stud we all hope he is, I'm sorry, on paper, that is not a bad lineup. That's a lineup that can score runs, but it may not score enough runs if the starting pitching can't get through five innings. Yeah, the problem is we don't play the game on paper. We play it in real life, and right now, that back end sucks. Like, I don't care what you say about Vogelback. Like, it's just, he's again, and I don't want to pick on him, but even Canada, like, they're not doing their job. And you have kids, and I, I'm, I'm starting to do this so soon, we have two kids in the minors who are ripping the cover off the ball who should be up here right now playing every day because they are spots for them. Okay, They okay, could hold add on, hold energy on. to this freaking lineup. Okay, let me get to Canna instead of Vogelback because we've had the Vogelback debate a lot, and there's a lot of Vogelback hate that I agree with. The guy doesn't hit for power, and he's a one-dimensional offensive player. He gets on base, and that's it, and that's not ideal. I admit that. Mark Canna is 34 years old. Mark Canna last year is a, again, let's just appreciate what he is. He's a 260, 750, 760, 770, 13 home run kind of guy. 
right? He is a serviceable major leaguer, borderline fourth outfielder, gives you quality at-bats, can draw a walk. Year before that, hit 17 home runs, 750 OPS. Year before that, had a 790 OPS. Year before that was his best year at a 900 OPS. Do you think he's that guy? Or do you think he now stinks? Because he's had a bad year so far. I'm not defending it, but it goes back to when are we deciding that this guy's just bad and ignoring what the guy's done in his career? And those numbers are not great, but Pete, those numbers are fine for a guy who's batting eighth in a lineup. I, I, I get that. And you're right. Those numbers are fine. And I do agree. He probably is going to hit close to that at the end of the season. But there are, when you have Better options. Better options. You have better options. You do. You know that. We know that. You don't go to him? No, no, no. Listen, the moment's coming for Mauricio and Vientos because all those guys do is hit in AAA. And at some point, you've got to say, call them up. And you're right. It's pretty easy how you fit these guys in. Mauricio becomes the second baseman. McNeil goes to the outfield. Vientos DHs. Done. It's it's not that complicated. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying until they make those moves, I still don't think this is some horrific lineup. They they don't pitch. And the pitching issues where they can't get starters through the fifth inning continues to like snowball into worse things. The game on Sunday was all about the fact that they got four innings from their starter. And I don't want to hear about how he pitched on three days rest. He's not that good. Like Joey Lucchese and Tyler McGill right now continue to prove they are four and a half inning guys. That's tough. You want to have one guy in your rotation like that? That's fine. But if Max Scherzer's also going to pitch four innings and get bombed half the time, you can't sustain yourself because then you end up using these garbage pitchers to come into the fifth inning of a four to three game. And right. look what and happens. You- and you don't have you don't have a Trevor Williams to rely on. Last year, right. he was a key piece to that puzzle. When you did have a rough outing, you go to Trevor Williams, he gives you three, four innings, and that's great. Now we're going to Yakabonis, who can get a third of an inning. I know. All right, let's get to some of your angry emails. I think we need to incorporate them because obviously this is a rough time. They've lost 11 of 14. They lost two out of three to the Rockies. This stretch against quote unquote bad teams, they're one and five. I mean, think about that. They are one and five in the stretch of 13 games against bad teams where we were envisioning nine and four and 10 and three. They got to go on a seven game winning streak to salvage it and get to eight, eight and five. Willis Rivkin, please turn up the heat on hate on this team. We all knew this team needed one, if not five major upgrades this offseason. Billy the Bozo made zero. It's time to start calling for his job. He's been awful. No excuses. I don't think firing a GM in May does a damn thing. So that's not defending Billy Epler. That's just, what are we doing here? I was talking to a few of my friends in the Mets text chat during the game on Sunday, and they said, heads need to roll. And my counter is, what do you want to roll? You want to fire Buck? Like, I'm all for a managerial change that sparks a team, but is that the thing you want to do? You want to fire the hitting coach again? You want to move Eric Chavez back to hitting coach? Like, what do you want to do? I don't think there's an obvious firing and look that's littered throughout med history too the coaches being fired in 99 bobby valentine's coaches sparked the team the willie firing in 2008 it happens i I don't think there's an obvious one i don't love billy epler and now we're going through his resume it's a short resume because he's only been here for a year but you can't go through another general manager this quick that's not a defensive him that's just a reality like we're not firing him as far as turning up the heat we're gonna rip the team i think we have the, the one thing I don't want to do, even though we'll do it occasionally, 
is relitigate the offseason every time they go through a losing streak. It's just, it's painful. I, I got to tell you, it's just, I think it's a, a worthy discussion at some point. I just don't think over the course of a 162-game season, we relitigate everything about the offseason. I'll give you one thing about this offseason. Carlos Correa has done nothing in Minnesota. I don't know if that makes anybody feel better. No, and, and listen, I, let, let's have a, a podcast um, agreement. We could do it maybe once a month. We do a check-in. <laughs> Fair enough. We, we, <laughs> An off-season check-in? Yeah. Yes. Oh, and by, by the way, I do want to say, because you mentioned Carlos Correa, and I think a lot of people killed Cohen and Epler for screwing that up and not getting Carlos Correa. Right. Hey, remember somebody else that they um, the um, the Mets wanted, the Mets fans wanted Carlos Rodon? How's he doing? When's he coming back? Look, there's a lot of that. If we play that game of relitigating the offseason, we also have to go through the guys that we would have signed and be fair about their production. Charlie Frederick writes, time for a semi-radical lineup shift. This was sent uh, this mo- uh, Sunday morning, so before Sunday's game. Keep that in mind. The bats have been obviously quiet for a while now. For the better part of the last year and a half, the Mets lineup has been relatively the same. Nimmo, Marte, Lindor, Alonzo, a few shifts here, and the 5-8. through eight and a catcher batting ninth. I don't know the right answer to this question, but I'm wondering if you feel like it's time for a shakeup to inspire some more action. Are we getting the most out of McNeil in the five hole? I can also see a world where Lindor moves to two and Beatty to three. Curious for your thoughts. So they did the lineup shakeup, and it's it's slight on Sunday with Lindor two, um, McNeil three, Alonzo four, Beatty five. I, I would stick with that and put Marte six. And then I would have, so they're going to face three righties in Cincinnati. They're going to finally end the streak of facing a lefty in every series they've played. So we can be sort of consistent with this. I would then go, I would then go Vogelbach, Canna, Alvarez. That's how I would do it for now until Mauricio and Vientos get called up. But that's how I would do it. Uh, Beatty hitting third. It's not crazy, but what do you do with McNeil then? Because I think you're definitely going to have Nimmo Lindor 1-2 if Marte's out of the two-hole. I guess you could go Nimmo McNeil. I'm not afraid of the lefties sitting back-to-back because both guys hit lefties. Like Brandon Nimmo hits lefties. They, they hit lefties. Brett Beatty hits lefties. So the whole breaking up the lefty thing can be a little overrated when everybody's producing. What I would try, and it's not that radical because we've already seen a sign of it, is what we saw on Sunday with Marte 6, Vogelback 7, Canna 8, uh, Alvarez not. You agree with me on this? And by the way, don't give the answer about Mauricio and Vientos. We all agree. We all know they should be up here. For the guys that are here, would you go with that lineup or something? Why, why do we continue to put Alvarez nine? Where do you want to put? You want to go seven? I, I'd go seven. I, because he, not for nothing. If we if we go with the philosophy that Vogelback keeps on getting on base, right? Mm-hmm. Put him nine. Have him not get terrible. on base. Put Nimmo on base, and then you go. There you got back-to-back base runners. I know he's, he's stiff, but at least you got two runners in a row. If we're gonna go that philosophy, hey, listen, man, I've always been a big fan of a, a high on base guy batting ninth. I know Vogelback doesn't fit the description because he's not fast, but we have to stop viewing Vogelback because of his size as somebody he's not. He's had two home runs this season, one of which on Sunday felt like the most meaningless home run in the history of baseball. His positive attribute that nobody can deny is he gets on base. The problem is he doesn't do much else. 
I acknowledge that. He doesn't do anything else. He he walks, and then he strikes out looking at three, two fastballs right down the middle, which is also annoying. Howie Chang writes, Evan and Pete, the Mets are terrible. They can't hit themselves out of a paper bag, but here is some perspective. The Braves were 15 and 17 and six games back at game 32 last year. They finally managed to break 500 on June 5th, 2022. The Mets still have time to get their act together. I need to remind myself of this. Otherwise, I'll go crazy. 100%. I can give you a million examples of that. The Nationals from 2019, the Phillies from 2022. There's a lot of examples of that. Uh, I don't think anybody's worried about time. Okay? Anybody who's fearful about the Mets right now is not worried even about the games back they are of Atlanta. Though I think the Braves are a superior team and we're not winning the division. It's not the amount of times left games left in the season and how many games back they are. It's looking at the team and saying, are they good? Are we wrong about our expectations? That's the concern. All right. Casey Manning wrote a, a long one and he's very upset. This was from the end of the tiger series. So keep that in perspective. The team is broken. I'm having trouble putting into words what this club is doing to me. They have managed to take every good feeling we've had from the last years and flush it down the toilet. Forget the fact that they've been shut out six goddamn times already. They're not even playing smart baseball. I love Nimmo, but his steal attempt was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen on a baseball field and one that I definitely don't expect from a buck-led team. The rotation is in shambles. The pen is mediocre. And as much as you want to say the main culprit is the pitching staff, they can't hit. Lindor is an overpaid player as there is in the game. Kind of gives you nothing. Vogelback thinks he's Nimmo, always looking for walks. I love that one. It's so true. Fam hits a home run every 20 games. Escobar can only hit righties and barely. Marte looks dreadful. I've got a better shot at getting a hit than both Nito and Guillaume. Need I go on? The team is broken. I'm sick to my stomach. We came into this year saying I hope we win the division, but we as a fallback can urinate all, all, all over ourselves and still make the playoffs due to the format. Are we sure that's the case? Depressed and wallowing Casey. I'm sure it's the case if they win 90 games or 88 games. I mean, you have to win games to make the playoffs. This is not the NBA. They can't go 79 and 83 and make the playoffs. Now, there may be a year where that happens, in fairness. There will be outliers. If you go through the last five years in the NL and the AL, I'm sure you can find a year where the sixth team that makes the playoffs would have won 80 games. But I think for the most part, yeah, you got to get into the high 80s. So, look. It's a backup because of the format we're in, but you have to play better. You have to win. That's the problem. All right. All right. Question yeah. for you. And I'm going to be kind of douchey right now. It's sarcastic a little bit, but two teams are picking two teams right now. Mets who are sub 500, another team that's awful. Who's got a better chance of making the playoffs? The New York Mets or the St. Louis Cardinals? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that because I was fearful you were going to say the Yankees. And I was going to be like, come on, I don't want to answer that. Um, the Cardinals look like a mess. And the Cardinals are so oddly a mess because they've always been an organization, at least from afar, that has the Cardinal way. But it started earlier in the year. Their manager, Ali Marmol, called out one of their players, Tyler O'Neill, for not hustling. And then Tyler O'Neill kind of went back at him in the media. So... They started to have issues early on. They had the weird handling of Jordan Walker. I think the Mets do. I do because I don't think I'm down on the way the team is playing. I don't want to act like, ah, oh, no big deal. 
I also have the perspective, though, of where we are in the season. And I do believe in this lineup a lot more than clearly most people, which is fine. I think there's a really good chance they'll score the amount of runs they scored last year. I think they could actually be a better offense, especially if Beatty and Alvarez are as good as we think. And they make the calls to Mauricio and Vientos, and they continue tearing it up. I think there's really good potential with this offense. Um, So I'd say the Mets. I'm not giving up on them. I'm not saying they're not making the playoffs. I I realistically said on the air last week, I don't think they're going to win the division. Well, yeah, because the Braves are awesome. Like, if the Mets were in the NL Central right now where the Pirates are struggling and the Brewers started to struggle and the Cardinals are a mess and the Cubs are decent, I think we'd win the NL Central. <laughs> I, I well, would, but well, we're not in the NL Central. Well, you know, to be fair, we also both said that they were winning the division anyway before the season started. So let's, Yeah, but let's, we both let's... didn't we both pick the Phillies? <laughs> yeah, maybe we did. <laughs> Uh, one last email on this. Ian Nolan writes, Evan, I'm a 37-year-old Met fan. Let me tell you my current mindset regarding the division. In my lifetime, the Mets have won four. Four divisional titles, including two of which before I entered kindergarten. Atlanta has won the NL East 17 times since 1995. <laughs> this guy's depressing me. Here's a pro tip for all Met fans. Accept your place in the baseball universe. Being the Braves bitch forever. They are better. They've been better until we prove it year after year. They own our asses. It's just how it is. P.S. Ask your co-host for me how his plan of calling up Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Vientos once we're 10 up on the Braves is going. LOL. What a fool. Signed a realistic and battered Mets fan. He's talking about you. Well, well I appreciate you calling me co-host. <laughs> and and re- dude. We continuously talk about this all the time. Like, they, what? It's weird because we don't want to bring those guys up and have the 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 energy be about we need to rely on Vientos and Mauricio to be the savior. So we want to have like a no pressure situation, but we have no option right now. We really, I mean, you don't. I think you you call guys up when they're ready. Period. Stop. That's when you call guys up. I think they're when ready. we overanalyze it. Or when they're needed, you know, if there's an injury or or something of that nature. And I think when a lot of that email I totally get from Ian as a Met fan with what the Braves have done to us, they've always beaten us. I mean, he's right. There's no, when have we gotten the last laugh on them? You know when we got the last laugh on them? When the Cardinals did our dirty work in 2000 and beat them in the divisional series and we never had to play them. That's the dead honest truth. But in light of that email, I'll ask you this. If the Atlanta Braves had the Met Farm system, wouldn't all these guys be up? And the answer is yes. And they've proven that. The Braves last year, one of the big things they did was how aggressive they were in calling up their prospects. So I think the clock is definitely ticking on it. But I do remind my fellow Met fans this. They can't pitch. And our biggest issue right now is starters don't go deep. Now, can that change in the Cincinnati series? It better because when the Mets open up the series, Max Scherzer's on the mound. When the Mets play game two of that series, Justin Verlander's on the mound. And when the Mets wrap up the series, Kodai Senga's on the mound. So the clear three best pitchers, in theory, for the New York Mets are pitching this week against the 14-20 and 20 Cincinnati Reds. Get the job done. You can email the pod, thericob at gmail.com, thericob at gmail.com. Check out Pete with Tiki and Tierney during the week at 10. Me and Craig, 2 o'clock on the fan. I'll give you this. On Thursday... As the Mets are playing the Reds and wrapping up their three-game series, I'll be on the air at uh, 2 o'clock. But I'll be on the air 
with a special fill-in host that day because Craig is going to be watching his daughter graduate. Congratulations. And that fill-in co-host is Joe Beningo. So if you want a state of the Mets from Joe B, we'll have it on Thursday afternoon. Appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>